night on the great estate, a crucial night for all who live here, for in the neighboring village, two men have learned of a secret from the distant past, which will affect everyone at the great house, leading forevermore to terror at Collinwood. Welcome to episode 10 of Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Penny Dreadful, here to regale you with tales of terror from the halls of Collinwood and the old house. I have a really special episode lined up for you today. I can't wait to dive into it. Before we do that, though, I have some news. What we've got here, we've got all kinds of interesting things happening with Dark Shadows right now. First of all, before you do anything else, I command you to head over to terroratcollinwood.com. In the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a link to the blog section. It just says blog. Click on that. There is an incredible article with some super rare behind-the-scenes photos from the set of Dark Shadows. Pictures taken in 1970 from the summer 1970 haunting storyline and from 1840. They were submitted to me uh thankfully, by uh, someone who listened to this podcast, Robert Sacconi. And I want to thank him profusely for this because um, his uncle, as it turns out, was a cameraman on the original Dark Shadows. Uh, He worked on the show from 1968 until the show ended in 1971. And while uh, the cameraman in question prefers to remain anonymous, he was kind enough to answer some questions uh, via Robert via his nephew, and uh, Robert also added some thoughts of his own. So there's an interview and some really rare behind-the-scenes, on-the-set pictures from Dark Shadows never before seen. So head on over to terroratcollinwood.com, click on that blog section, and enjoy. And speaking of enjoyment, there is some really cool stuff happening. As many have heard, uh, there is a Jonathan Frid documentary coming out. Uh, It is called Dark Shadows and Beyond, the Jonathan Frid story, and it's produced by Emmy winner Mario Leary. And it's going to be available on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital on October 5th from MPI Media Group. It is available now for pre-order on Amazon as of the recording of this podcast episode in August of 2021. So uh, if you're listening to this right now in August 2021, you can pre-order the documentary. I am really looking forward to it. The trailer just looks sensational. So definitely go check that out. And the other bit of news I have for you is about the Dark Shadows Daybook. And that's what this episode is about, in addition to many other wonderful things like the Collinsport Historical Society and Unlovely Frankenstein. So let's dive on into that. In this episode, I'm joined by Wallace McBride and Patrick McRae, the masterminds behind the Rondo Award-winning website, the Collinsport Historical Society. I am thrilled 
to have these guys here with me. You know, been a longtime fan of their work with the Collinsport Historical Society. So it's it's really a, a joy to get to talk with them. Um, just a little background. Wallace McBride is an artist, writer, and graphic designer. In addition to running the Collinsport Historical Society, he is the mad genius behind Unlovely Frankenstein, which has the tagline, stupid art for smart people, featuring some amazing pop culture and cult movie-based posters and products. In the Big Finish Dark Shadows audio dramas, Wallace stars as Edgar McBride, a newsreader for Maine radio station WLSN 01.3 FM. That's 13, actually, now that I look at it. Patrick McRae is a writer and longtime staff member at the Collinsport Historical Society. He was a comic book author for Revolutionary Comics and created the underground cult hit Elvis Shrugged. He later wrote top-selling biographies of Betty White, Jack Dorsey, Britney Spears, and Elvis Presley. He's directed over 80 stage plays and co-produced and co-starred in the audio series Star Trek The Continuing Mission. Patrick won the 2018 Rondo Award for Writer of the Year and is the webmaster for Catherine Lee Scott herself. Of course, we're here today to talk about not only about the Collinsport Historical Society, but also about the recently released Dark Shadows Daybook. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my goodness. So I, I'm holding this marvelous book in my hand. It's just really a, a, a wonderful book. And uh, as I was saying before we started recording, I, uh, I've read a lot of these entries here in the Dark Shadows Daybook at the Collinsport Historical Society, but there's all kinds of new stuff in here, including an introduction by uh, humorist, Emmy Award-winning humorist, Dana Gould. Um, the book is laid out in a beautiful way with uh, each section devoted to a different storyline of the show. It just looks looks uh, sensational here. Uh, Wallace uh, did the design for this book. And uh, and then we have uh, some really fun things like uh, the Wake Up Willie drink uh, concoction de- delivered by Willie himself, which was, was really fun to read. And uh, I have to say every page I open to in this book, there's always something really uh, compelling and thoughtful and intelligent. It's just a really in-depth look at the show. And if you're a fan of Dark Shadows, and if you're listening to this, I assume that you are, uh, you definitely, this is a must buy book. Uh, so guys talk, talk to me about what led to this, like what, what led to the, let's start with your interest in dark shadows. Like how, what got you into dark shadows to begin with? Uh, you, you can lead off Patrick. I'm just here to be your hype man. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no. Well, let me tell you, uh, I am the puppet. Wallace is the hand. But it's a, I just want to assure you of that um, uh, he's the brains behind the whole thing. I, you know, uh, uh, and I really mean that. Um, what got me into Dark Shadows? Well, I was always into, you know, vampires and werewolves and, and Joan Bennett and things like that, you know, as a young man. And when I was uh, when I was 11, it showed up in syndication in Louisville and um, some friends of my mother's. Uh, they were very excited about it. And and it's hard to believe now, but the show had only been off the air for 10 years at that point. And um, and they said, well, you got to watch the show. It's got all these things in it. And, and it's a soap opera, which immediately, you know, just worked wonders on an 11 year old. I wanted nothing to do with it. Right. <laughs> but they said Kate Jackson was on it. And that that was a significant, significant selling factor. So I, I tuned in and, uh, you know, with no one saying that Kate Jackson wouldn't be there for a thousand episodes or so. 
And I thought, what on earth was this? But, you know, it's like uh, it's like the experience any 11 year old has with scotch. You know, when you know <laughs> when you when you first try it, it's like licking an ashtray. And, you know, when you're when you're watching this this show and who are these people and and why do I care about this Irish guy and and so on and so forth? And then the hand comes out and that is such an indelible image. Mm-hmm. It got me to stay. And so it became kind of morbid curiosity of how much of the soap opera nonsense I could take. And as far as I knew, you know, Burke and and Joe were the same person. They were just, you know, these two white guys with nice hair. And I didn't know who, who any of these people were. Uh, and I was just hoping the vampire would show up. And that was, you know, every every few episodes. But it it worked its magic. And the, the amazing thing was how quickly the show played its hand in terms of Barnabas, you know, always the hero. Come on. And that Jason McGuire's the bad guy. And once I got into that, and once I saw what a weird little moral twist it was doing with that, uh, that was it. That was it. I was hooked. And the show would disappear from syndication and then it would reappear somewhere else and I would follow it. And it went from being something I I thought I was kind of obligated to like to something that just uh, nothing could keep me away from it. And how about you, Wallace? Mine's a bit more rambling. Yeah, I, I was uh, the first I heard about there that I remember hearing about Dark Shadows was after going to see Raise the Titanic that has David Selby in it. My mom mentioned that he had been on a TV show, a soap opera where he played a werewolf and his cousin was a vampire. And it was just it was something that like wormed its way into my brain. I just had to find out what Dark Shadows was after hearing that. I guess <laughs> it was about eight, eight or nine years old at the time. And it seemed like it was you know genetically engineered for me. And it wasn't long after that that I came uh, I came across a stack of the Marilyn Ross novels at a used bookstore. And I grabbed all of those. There was the House of Dark Shadows novelization. That's how I found out there had been a movie about it. And from there, it took me a few more years to actually see an episode of the TV show. That would have been when I was living in New Jersey. And I needed rabbit ears to, to I had to stand over the rabbit ears to get it to come in on the UHF channel. And I, I did not get to see very much of it that way because it was it was difficult to get. a. I guess I was maybe 12 by that point to stand over a TV for 30 minutes at a time just to try to get a signal and to watch it. But the first scene I remember seeing was actually in the Blue Whale. Oh, in the Blue the, Whale. Yeah. To this day, it remains my favorite, you know, my favorite set and favorite location in the TV show. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's definitely uh, a, a memorable uh, location with the, although it limited uh, selection of songs, but still, I love those songs. I don't care. I'll listen to They're to all the good. They're all good. They're all good. They're surf songs. They're great. I used to do a radio show, and every once in a while, I, I'd slip a Blue Whale song into the mix, I'd play some surf rock, and I'd throw in a Blue Whale song, because it just fit right in. Like, Bob Covert really captured that feel. Um, Patrick, when you mentioned, you know, that you had initially heard that Dark Shadows was a uh, soap opera, and that it kind of, like, you were reluctant initially to check it out because that I think a lot of fans uh, kind of when they first hear that are uh, resistant to the idea, especially I, I've encountered that somewhat among horror fans like, oh, that's a, it's an old soap opera. I'm like, well, it isn't exactly that. It's it's its own thing. And I think, Wallace, you wrote a great article called Dark Shadows was never a soap opera. And it, it takes an interesting look at that.
that because, of course, Dan Curtis himself was never really into the into soap operas. He had initially pitched this as a as a primetime series. Uh, of course, there are certainly elements of soap operas, especially the serialized narrative format. But I think it also owes a lot to, you know, the Penny Dreadfuls, honestly, and the Shilling Shockers, where it's this ongoing serialized narrative. I think Jeff Thompson compared it to sort of a newspaper strip where there's a the storyline ends and then another one starts. So it is a soap opera, but I was talking about this when, uh, when I had Ansel, Ansel Farage on the show. It's like, where do you, if you had to put Dark Shadows on a shelf in a video store, if we imagine video stores were back in existence, would you put it next to Guiding uh-huh. Light? You know, I wish, right? Especially those really cool underground video stores they used to have. There's one in San Francisco called Leather Tongue Video, which I just loved that place. But you know, if you're going to put Dark Shadows on the shelf, are you going to put it near Guiding Light and All My Children and General Hospital? Or are you going to put it near like Cold Chack, Star Trek, Doctor Who, you know, you're going to, you're, or uh, Night Gallery, you know, you're, for me, I'm going to put it near Night Gallery and Doctor Who. That's, that's kind of for me where, where it's going to fit. Others may choose the Guiding Light, light shelf. I don't know, but uh, where would you guys put it? You know, Boy, I'm split on that because there's part of me that wants to, you know, sort of dig the the tiger pit uh-huh. to to trap the soap opera fan mm-hmm. into uh, <laughs> something good. You know? Yeah, I mean, why not? Just throw that in, and then the you know the the horror fan will be delighted to see something uh, accessible over mm-hmm. in the soap section. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, ultimately, sure, you're going to put that with uh, with cult television or horror or speculative fiction things like that. Speculative sure. fiction, sure. Yeah. Awesome. Now, of course, your website, the Collinsport Historical Society, I, I, I'd love to hear how that came about because, um, you know, I remember back in the days of the fanzines and, you know, I'd wait with with eager anticipation to receive these fanzines in the mail that would often have really interesting articles and deep dives into sort of character analysis and family trees and things like this and, uh, and articles about the show and general interviews with the actors, etc. And in many ways, I think the Collinsport Historical Society is is sort of the the internet ages version of that, minus like the fanfic aspect of it. But, you know, you have these really in-depth articles and really, really cool examinations of the show. So talk about how the Collinsport Historical Society came about. Well, you you really hit on it with the fanzine angle there. I I found out I missed all that about... Mm -hmm. 2010, 2011, I picked up uh, one of the old Marilyn Ross books at a bookstore and it had an envelope in there that was for the Don- the Jonathan Fred fan club. Mm-hmm. And it, it had Jonathan Fred rules on there. The letter inside of it was not there, but it was finding out there were fan clubs for this TV show. I, I, I got to see the show in earnest when it when it aired on the sci-fi channel in the 90s. And I got to see it from the first episode all the way through. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I experienced it. I had no idea that there were fan clubs or fanzines or any of that. And the internet pointed me to that mm-hmm. and I, just, I was really just interested in connecting with other dark shadows fans not that once i was going back and rediscovering the show for probably my third time since the early 90s mm-hmm. and the idea was just to reach out to other fans and and just meet these people you know i really wanted to meet the people who are running the old fanzines and a lot of them have just sort of disappeared and are just moved on to other things moved on to other things yeah, yeah. some of some of them are active on facebook but they're not uh they're not running the zines anymore like i know dan silvio's out there and kathy rash and they post sometimes but they're they're not producing the, the zines. And I think just zines in general, kind of when the internet age dawned, they sort of kind of faded out a bit because you don't see too many fanzines anymore, like print 
fanzines. Um, how did you find the experience when you started the 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 website and you started posting to it? How what was the response from the fan base like? Frustrating. Uh, oh, there really? was this yeah, there was this invisible wall that I did I did not know I was going to hit my head on. <laughs> what do you, can you elaborate? Well, when people started to take take notice of the website, a lot of the old timers were actively mm-hmm. resentful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not invited. I was not invited to the party. I was an interloper. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, it was it was fine. I mean, a lot a lot of yeah. people I met were really nice, and the the idea here after a certain point was to sort of reach out beyond the boundaries that Dark Shadows has been trapped in with within fandom. Yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of ways, it's been the same people just mm-hmm. over and over again, and it's been so insular. Yeah. And and exclusive to a certain point that I, I kind of wanted to reach out to some other people and try to find out some other opinions, some alternate viewpoints on mm-hmm. this. I mean, it's, 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 it's it, well, most most fandoms are strange, but Dark, Dark Shadows is sort of singularly strange. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not above that. Anyway, I'm not saying I'm better than these people. I'm, I'm exactly these people. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, we, I think we all gravitate mm-hmm. to the show because we are all kind of cut from that sort of eccentric cloth uh, a bit, you know, but I find uh, I, I know what you mean. And I think I think generally in fa- as as fandoms age, like you have that initial group that sort of founded the, these fandoms. And then it does become sort of that core group of people that's always sort of identified with that. And everything kind of ends up going through them. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of other fandoms that I'm also have have participated in over the years. I can see Dark Shadows even more being more entrenched. It's good to sort of expand and look at things from from a variety of different perspectives, as Patrick does with his uh, daybook mm-hmm. articles. Like these are really insightful and and interesting look uh, and intellectual sort of deep dives into the episodes of the show. So, Patrick, how did you get involved with the Collinsport Historical Society? It was uh, it was marvelous luck. <laughs> I had for a long time wanted to to do a sort of Andy Kaufman like stunt after <laughs> I saw. The movie um, uh, supersized me. I, uh, I, being a, a profoundly unoriginal man, I, I decided that I needed to to ape that. And I thought, well, the the what about Dark Shadows? I had been collecting DVDs since the beginning. I was too late to the Laserdisc party, and uh, but DVDs I was right there for, and uh, I couldn't afford the VHS tapes when they were coming out. But my crime empire had expanded to such a point that that when the DVDs came out, I was able to uh, I was able to get them. And so I had, you know, this massive shelf and people were always bugging me. They were saying, oh, when are you going to find time to watch all of this? I said, well, you know, I mean, I had seen the show in various parts, but I hadn't really taken the time to watch all of it. You know, the DVDs would come in. I'd look at the interviews in the back and that was it. And uh, so when I saw I threatened to do it a number of times. Um, and I always like to have a project during the summer because otherwise it just turns into time taffy if you have the time off. It's this endless expanse that's suddenly over. And so it, it always feels better when I have something to show for it. And um, and I saw the trailer to the movie and I, I knew exactly what it was. I had hoped I had hoped for that movie for so long. Um, I I was I, my experience as a Dark Shadows fan had to do with persecution, but it was from the outside world. It was from hipsters who, you know, if, if the name Joss Whedon wasn't on it, they oh God, <laughs> it was. Cool. And yeah. I, I, 
was uh, pelted with rocks and garbage constantly from my interest in dark shadows and uh, pretty close, pretty close. My goodness. I just took hell for it. And so there was there. I always had kind of this mission about dark shadows, this crusade. And um, and so when I saw that trailer, because I had had such hopes for it, I thought, this is it. Tim Burton, Johnny Depp. This is going to show people how cool this is. And and then it was, you know, Austin Powers four. Yeah. And and the problem with that movie. uh, Well, there we go. No, the the problem (laughs) with that movie is not that it's a comedy because, you know, the TV show Dark Shadows is a comedy, but it's that it's an unfunny comedy. And um, and and I felt like the widow Loman you know, which is frequent for me. But I thought, you know, damn it, attention must be paid. And uh, and that, of course, meant attention to me. So uh, <laughs> what I what I what I did was is I, I uh, started uh, uh, a campaign called the DSXP, the Dark Shadows Experiment Project, which was before the term binging came in. Mm. And that was uh, a thing where I was going to watch the whole damn thing in 45 days. And I did. Uh, it was all carefully scheduled. It was it was carefully worked out. Uh, I had a, I had, you know, a, a regimen. I, I had meal breaks. I had all sorts of other stuff built in. And it was an endurance project. And I thought really beyond just the fact that Dark Shadows deserved someone's attention to that insane degree because it was an insane show to produce. I also, I, frankly, I thought maybe I was getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe, uh, maybe I just needed to get over it. Maybe this would cure DVD collecting and things like that to, Mm. to confront it. And, uh, and you know, what I wasn't counting on was Stockholm syndrome and, uh, (laughs) Good old Stockholm syndrome to rescue, and and you know you really get immersed in this when it's a it's a big screen and you're in a small home, and sure. it's another room in the house and it's everywhere you go and these people are with you for ten hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, and you're having to make great sacrifices, personal sacrifices, to be there with them and to maintain this schedule. And so uh, I had seen Wallace's website around the time that I was gearing up to do this. And it was just about the best thing I had ever seen because it had the such incredible taste and such incredible style and such a, a singularly hilarious, passionate voice behind it and and in terms of just a triumph of both substance and style its presentation was such that it made dark shadows uh no i take that back it didn't make dark shadows cool it demonstrated why dark shadows was cool mm-hmm. to precisely the assholic hipsters that i had been <laughs> yeah for years it's like yeah. it's it's like i suddenly had this uh this hulking big brother show up at a school where I had been bullied for years. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, you guys think you're hip. You think you're funny. We'll take on McBride. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it worked. And um, Wallace did a couple of interviews with me that summer. And um, 
I mean, I knew I was going to like this guy from from the get go, just from his sensibility. But uh, I remember in the interview, uh, one of the first questions he asked was Roger Collins, bastard or magnificent bastard. And I, <laughs> I thought this this is it. This is it. And so uh, and so we you know, uh, he, he publicized it. Uh, and uh, and supported it, and we we entered into a dialogue, and soon I was on some podcasts, and it just it felt uh, like a it it felt like a, a friend and a colleague and a mentor that I had always had, but had never known, and um, and it it was. It was very significant for me, not only the, the way that he, he articulated his interest in the show, but the, the, the unflagging integrity that he showed just as, uh, as a friend and as someone interacting with the program. And, um, and I was delighted and honored to, uh, to be a part of it. Wonderful. But there a couple of things you said, uh, you know, really jumped out at me. Um, you know, the, the, the hipster thing and the, the Joss Whedon, if it's not connected to Joss Whedon, it's, it's not worth, I obviously, you know, something like Buffy, the vampire slayer wouldn't even exist without dark shadow, like the dark shadows set the ground. Telling for, them that. Yeah. <laughs> it created the groundwork for that. Now, the other thing you mentioned too, that kind of jumped out at me was, uh, you said that dark shadows is, a comedy? What? What? Uh, now, of course, there are comedic elements in Dark Shadows, but what do you mean Dark Shadows is a comedy? Elaborate. Well, pick a genre, and Dark Shadows is going to be it. Yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> I refer to it as a documentary. Um, <laughs> the um, this is a show about wasps completely displaying their trademark ability to ignore apocalyptic circumstances yes. no matter what. <laughs> yes. And and that's very funny. And and mm-hmm. then if you're a Black Adder fan, um yeah. the, the relationship between Barnabas and Willie, you know, that the Barnabas is the is the long sufferingest hero in in all of television, the most proper character and who are his friends. He's got this alcoholic with sideburns uh, and he's got Quentin, um, but but he's got this doctor who's either in love with him or trying to poison him. And and is there a difference? And then this mouth breathing Rube who then decides to become a hand wringing, overly moralistic worry wart at everything he does. He thinks, OK, well, maybe I'll finally you know, this guy, he's sleazy enough that I can get away with what I want to get away with. Now he's the one lecturing me about murdering people. I mean, you know, this is a man who gave moral sense. Fire, <laughs> yes. for Christ's sake. Right. And, right. <laughs> and, and it all up for me. So to me, this is all intensely funny stuff, intentionally funny stuff. Right. And, you know, if we had had like Bonnie and Terry Thomas, is it Terry Thomas? Yeah, the, the people who wrote the Brady Bunch movie and, and did Third Rock from the Sun. Terry Thomas. <laughs> Terry Thomas. The Gap too. The yeah, Gap too. He wrote the Brady Bunch movie. Wow. That's that Bonnie, you heard it here first, folks. Those those Thomas people. The, yeah. the, the English muffin, and then they did uh, <laughs> they got the big or Levitt because right. they like yeah. shadows. And uh and and John Lithgow and all of that in that show. But then they wrote the Brady Bunch movie. 
which I, I think is, is uh, maybe the finest film of the 90s. And I'm not alone. You know, Kaye de Cinema agrees with me on that. And um, and that was something that absolutely captured the essence of what it was satirizing to the point that it was a fine example of it, while at the same time uh, uh, sending up all of the things that needed to be sent up with absolute affection. And if you're going to make a comedy out of it, that's how you do it. Right, right. My 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 problem with with satirizing something like Dark Shadows at such a high profile level, you're going to let's face it, you know, uh, millennials that most a lot of them don't even know what Dark Shadows is. So to them, that becomes the definitive Dark Shadows. You know what I mean? Whereas the Brady Bunch, well, the Brady Bunch was already kind of a sitcom anyway. Something like say say if they did a, a satirical take on Star Trek, start everybody knows what Star Trek is. They know. Oh, oh, there's the real, the, the the serious Star Trek, and then there's the comedy version, for example. Whereas Dark Shadows, I think that's going to be their go-to, you know, if that if that had been a success, and that potentially could overwrite what Dark Shadows is in the public consciousness, you know, in in the in the zeitgeist. Like this is what Dark Shadows is, and that that's kind of my concern with taking something like that and not adhering to the tone of, of what uh, Dark Shadows is, you know, Absolutely. you know, um, anyway, so you watched, you went on a binge watch session for Dark Shadows and this, this led you to writing the Dark Shadows day book for the Collinsport Historical e- Society. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Okay. A lot of stages in between. I had written another project a year later and then a sequel to here after that called the Collins Chronicles, which was a, um, a an episode companion mm-hmm. where I, I wrote uh, either a diary entry or a letter or a newspaper article or something like that within the universe from the point of view of one of the characters about each episode. So you had this on-running series of Easter eggs that provided continuity that the writers would have provided had they known how the show was going to end. But uh, uh, that was my first real immersion into it. And um, we had noodled around with a few other things I did. I turned that into a presentation that I did at the 50th anniversary convention. And uh, as that was gearing up, I was looking for another project and I, I wanted to do an episode guide. And there were two uh, models for episode guides for Dark Shadows that existed at that point. There was uh, what uh, came out from Pomegranate Press, which was very good, but it was very brief. I mean, you know, you could get it all in a, in a pamphlet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as it turns out, that was probably the right approach. But the other was uh, the Nicholas Mooneyhan approach, which was fantastically detailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was so detailed that it was it would not have been easy to thumb through and just sort of be able to kind of follow the show. And I was a big fan of that episode guide boom of the 1980s. <laughs> so I thought Dark Shadows needed something like that, where every episode would get, uh, you know, maybe a, a four sentence paragraph. And um, and you could capture the series that way. And so I approached Wallace with it and um he had something else in mind that I pretended to understand, but I, 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 and actually I did understand, but I wouldn't let myself believe it because it was so much work. 
and what he suggested was having, you know, a little something behind the scenes for every episode. And I thought, are you mad? That many episodes? How are you going to do that? And some analysis and some talk about its place in history and, and so on and so forth. And so I, I kind of nodded and, and said, oh, okay, and then wrote something else. But, but Wallace was incredibly supportive and persistent at the same time about what he was looking for. And I swear to God, it was maybe two years into it. And I, I finally wrote one uh, that was the first episode in the Get Back to 1968 from 1795. And it felt really good. It just felt right. And Wallace responded and he said, okay, now that's it. That's what I, that's what I was going for. And then when I had a model for it, and my muscles were kind of built up from writing, you know, as much as I was back then, it, the, the style of it and the voice of it all came together at once. And uh, it took a while. And, you know, it's the, it's the sort of thing that only the Internet can give us because the Internet is sort of free. You know, I mean, we, we trade all of our liberties and information to it. But, you know, <laughs> other, other than that, it's, it's yeah. free. And so it was sort of like digital photography. I had the time to make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake and still be able to come back and, and work on it a little bit more. And, uh, and then it gelled. It, it took on a very, very distinctive voice and shape. You know, when you would do these, you post these write-ups, they were posted on the day the episode originally aired. So uh, you'd always kind of end it with on this day in you know, 1968 or 1969, what was going on. So that's sort of an, you know, it was a really cool dynamic to the, the way you, uh, you got that uh, set up there. Now, how... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said, I'm glad you like that. Yeah. Uh, and I just, you know, I'm looking, I'm just, I'm looking at the book right now. Just some of the, some of the, the phrasing, I, I just love the way you, the, your observations, these are, these are sort of observations you don't, I think the fan base never really kind of looked at Dark Shadows in exactly this way. Like I remember reading wonderful essays by uh, the late, uh, Warren Odson and such. And, oh boy, he was terrific. Oh, really, really great. And he would kind of sometimes take take a look. At, he was a great artist uh, as well. But um, you know, you come up with phrasing like the real phantoms in dark shadows are the metaphorical phantom limbs represented by absent, missing, or neglectful family members. At times, they seem to outnumber the characters who show up and their influence quietly resonates throughout the series. It's it's so true. And it's such an insightful comment to make. It's absolutely accurate, you know, um, but nobody ever really brings that up. You know, it's it's a great insight. And then uh, when we're looking at, uh, for example, the um, 1970 uh, Haunting of Collinwood storyline, which you, you frequently refer to as the Ragnarok uh, yeah. storyline, you know, indifference and abandonment, not to mention constant threats to life and limb. This sequence is an ugly wake up call to the fact that living in a spook house isn't glamour and cool lighting. Absolutely. You know, and that's that storyline is often sort of uh, overlooked. It's a it's a weird story, but you really have a great take on it. You deep dive into that. 
that and say, you know, this is the reason people don't like this. It's because it's not fun. What's happening here is not fun. We know what's going to happen. You know, it's a, a checklist of all the awful things that are going to happen before Collinwood is destroyed. Um, really, really fascinating. Well, I think this is a good point to get to jump back in just a second to <laughs> underline why Patrick's original idea for this was really awful. <laughs> <laughs> is um i mean and you you just just look just listen to the things you just read i did not need patrick to do um shorthand summaries of these episodes yeah it was a it was a waste of his talent it was a waste of his abilities mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing you, you pay somebody by the hour to do just to give you like thumbnail summaries of it and they're, they're pretty boring patrick's background is in theater so i knew he understood theme dramatic structure and character Mm-hmm. And Dark Shadows is glorified theater. Oh I mean, it's, yes, it's all stage actors. It's it's mm-hmm. it's on it. You know, it's oh, Wallace. Wallace. Mm-hmm. Theater is denigrated. Dark Shadows. Continue. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The idea of Patrick, you know, going in and just writing about what happened in every episode, just recapping characters mm-hmm. and what they did, just it, I just felt like his time needed to be better spent than that. I mean, he, he could do more. And I think he's proven he has. Yeah. For how many years have you been writing the, the Daybook articles? The day, the day book started uh, 2016, in March of 2016. So a little over five years. How did the idea for the book come about? Talk to Papa. that that was me again i I felt like this needed to be it it needed to be celebrated in some way i don't think people you know just getting it for free when they visit the website or seeing it on facebook was really showcasing what what's been captured here and i wanted patrick to go back and take another look at the at the text Mm -hmm. and try to stitch it together in in a a form of narrative that would sub it would substitute the need for an episode guide while also, you know, telling you what the show was really about without telling you the, you know, Willie does this on this episode and what, I mean, nobody really cares about that kind of stuff. I mean, we can get that anywhere. Right. I and think, Patrick, you know, I, I just kind of wanted to, wanted him to have a reward for all this work he's done. What was the, when you were selecting the articles for the book, like, you know, you've written so many of these uh, at yeah. this point. Uh, I don't know how many you have left to do. Like how far, how far away are you from doing from them all? Stuff? Yeah. Oh my God. No, never. I no. did. <laughs> That's a separate thing that I want to get into is, is yeah. that's another issue. But in terms of the selection of the pieces, I I responded with a very enthusiastic creative paralysis. So uh, I have a, a friend of mine who's a very fine playwright and Kelly Meister, mm-hmm. and she's a she's a good editor. And um, and I talked Callie into uh, going through the day book and I'm, you know, to see these printed up, it's two gigantic three ring binders. You know, they look like NASA launch manuals. I mean, they're, they're, they're huge. They're, they're both the size of very large phone books. And I said here, and so she went through and she picked out a bunch and her taste was very good. She generally went towards ones that had a lot of pop culture references, things that might be of you know greater interest to a, a wider audience because she, and I, I was happy for this, not a Dark Shadows fan. So she had a, a degree of objectivity and I just, you know, said, pick, pick out ones that are that are good reading. And so she did. And it was an interesting collection. It was a good collection. And uh, and I kept everything that Callie picked out. 
But then I kind of just scrolled backwards through the the blog and picked out ones that maybe she missed that I thought had some beauty to them or had something interesting to say or that others had had noted and liked. And so we included those as well. And then I cut a bunch. I killed a bunch of darlings and put a few more back in. And, you know, the pandemic happened. So we had a lot of time on our hands. And it, uh, you know, a number of times uh, I heard from Wallace, okay, now, Patrick, you can add this one more, but then that's it. And and he was right with that because I would still be, you know, including things uh, to this day if I hadn't if I hadn't stopped. It was like the red shoes. But every time there is some kind of uh, uh, something positive about the day book. It makes me be a better writer. So when when the Rondo nomination happened, yeah. uh, the day books then became kind of worthy of the Rondo nomination. They, they really, that forced me to, I hate this term, but raise the bar. And, <laughs> Yeah, because I'm a I'm a modestly heighted man, um, <laughs> but uh, but but it 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 did, and then knowing that the day book book was was coming around, I think made the pieces I I wrote even better. I you know in my humble opinion. So yeah, there were a lot that I would write, and I would think, oh geez, boy, this one really needs to go in the book, and I never would have thought that before. Now, when you uh, when you went back to when started putting this book together, did you guys make any changes to the daybook entries that were on the website? Did you add or subtract anything or come away uh, with a different look at it? Or no, not particularly, except. <laughs> We recorded probably about a, a quarter of the book for an audio book. Oh, uh, wow. I did that summer and mm-hmm. um, with a very, very, very fine uh, voice talent, a woman named Tiffany Talent, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, is just magnificent. And listening to her read them aloud, I suddenly realized where uh, a lot of the, the wording was, was awkward. And so... For the first section of the book, I kind of went back in under the guise of proofing things and without changing the the space count on any page, because it had all been typeset at that point, I went in and sort of surgically reworked uh, some of some of the phrases just to to make them a, a tad more mellifluous. And and that was a that was a real benefit. That's the main the main change. Yeah. OK, it, it's even. As someone who read a lot of these on the website itself, it is a different experience reading uh, the book because of, I think, partly because of the layout and just the way that you have it uh, organized by storyline. So you're kind of making your way through the series uh, as you go, which is which is kind of an interesting way to to look at it versus, you know, oh, this is the one that they're doing today, you know. Um sure. Wallace, how has the response been to the day book uh, sales wise, like are fans responding well to it? As far as I know, yes. I mean, I, I've been getting um, Patrick is handling the sales on this. Oh, I I'm see. OK. Yeah. This is this is Patrick's book. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, people are are proud to have copies of this and have been sharing photos online. It's just been very flattering. That the That's unbelievable. So it just it, it just blows <laughs> away. And there's a there's a gentleman who's reading it in sections on YouTube. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's great. No, and it's very, 
it's really cool. He's uh, he's a he's a great guy. And um, oh, I think I saw that resident of Collinwood. Right. Is yeah. that the one? Yes, I did see that because yeah. I saw like part 10 Dark Shadows Daybook. And I said, oh, I have to, to check that out. Great. Yeah. And that someone would be inspired to do that is uh, is two things. It's, of course, a cry for help, but also <laughs> it, it's incredibly flattering. It's it's just the best. I mean, that's um, that's marvelous. Um, well, you had asked about the structure of the book, though, and Patrick was actually yeah. looking at some uh, alternatives to this at the beginning. We weren't necessarily okay. going to be it was not going to be linear to begin. Oh, with. oh, OK. What were what was the original plan? Well, what, 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 yeah, go ahead, Patrick. Okay, I was just about to ask you to explain because I don't remember my <laughs> entirely. The, the main plan had to do with the fact that when I when I looked at what was set up, I thought that the first chapter, which compares uh, the last episode and the first episode, I thought it was a little dry. It was a little political. I was worried it wouldn't pull people in, you know, because of course we have bookstores where they'll be pulling this off the shelf and thumbing through it. Not. And uh, but I, I really was worried that it, it would be a turnoff. And then, you know, the stuff before Barnabas shows up, kind of a turnoff. And, um, and even the early Barnabas episodes, which are all about the morality of you know, kidnapping Maggie and having to contend with the fact that this is going to be hero, but we're dealing with this very dark side of him. I was like, Ish, boy, I don't know if anyone's going to get through this. And so I've always liked the idea of starting the Dark Shadows series in 1795. You know, we, we sort of get snookered into following Vicky's timeline and Vicky's personal narrative, because for a while we thought she was the main character, because it's Barnabas. And so when you look at it, starting in 1795, you get a much better feel for Barnabas's moral journey. And and his overall kind of kind of Joseph Campbell esque arc, mm-hmm. and uh, and those pieces were really passionate and a lot of fun. I really liked writing those, and and there's some there's some good writing in there. And so for a long time, I thought about starting in 1795 and following more of Barnabas's journey. Interesting. I actually I appreciate that you did include some pre. It was you didn't do too much pre Barnabas, but it. It's represented. And I, I think, it you know, it's important to give that that nod uh, as well. And I, I, like the Laura story, a lot, there are a lot of fans of the Laura storyline uh, that I, I've encountered as I've started doing this podcast. Even I keep hearing from people saying they really because it's such a weird, strange uh, idea. You know, I think it really kind of hits. What people is she? Exactly. What is yeah. A phoenix. They made it. They created it. It's right. Yeah. It's such a sad storyline, too. It I mean, really it's, is. Yeah. It's this woman who's who has this murderous compulsion she doesn't understand and exactly. can't resist. It's it's got all these noir noir elements. There's nothing else like it in Dark Shadows. Oh, really? Fascinating. It, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, Diana Malay is so otherworldly, just her performance. And she, you know, herself was sort of had that kind of quality to her that, that came, kind of came through in, in the character. And it's exactly what you said. I had a, a Rachel Freitas was on here and we were talking about this, that storyline. And she pointed out, you know, that this is Laura's nature. She's not necessarily intentionally malevolent. This is just what she is. She is she is wired this way to to do this, to to immolate herself and her son. That that is her prime directive, you know, uh, and you, you know, the, the dark part about that. Well, of course, you know, burning a child alive can <laughs> be a little dark, but um, but the but the the dark fascination in that 
is that we don't know what would have happened to David spiritually had he gone through this. Was right. he just die and be consumed or would he be elevated to some sort of godlike figure like at the end of uh oh that thing with tony collette and the girl's head uh what was that the hereditary which is oh hereditary oh, oh. hereditary yeah. hereditary yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was quite quite good i was i was there aren't that many horror movies that scare me i've seen a lot of horror movies and that that one actually kind of got under my skin a little bit i was like oh that's oh yeah yeah you know um but um I wonder if he would have become a phoenix himself, you know. It's a good question. When we yeah. never really know. Yeah. For all we know, Laura's telling the truth about what a great, great experience. <laughs> yes. You know, burn to a, a sizzle. Right, right. Uh, it's It'd be interesting to see what this, uh, you know, the, if this Dark Shadows reincarnation series ever happens. Just a sidetrack here a little bit, if you guys don't mind. Um, sure. You know, they they just interviewed, uh, bloody disgusting, just interviewed Mark B. Perry and he, you know, he says there, there's, this is still a thing. This is an ongoing thing. He says he's never going to throw in the towel on this. So uh, in some ways, I'm actually relieved it didn't go to the CW because apparently they've made changes to appeal to their demographic or whatever, or requested changes. And I'd like to see what Perry's vision is for this as pure as pure a vision as possible for what he wants to do. And I kind of like the idea of a next generation show as opposed to another reboot, because you can pull from the existing mythos, you know, and work that into the show, like the ramifications of, say, something Barnabas did in 1970 might play out in the present day, for example, so that, or, and you can bring back something like, where's Adam? Well, I, I guess you would have to recast, obviously, sadly, you know, we lost Robert Rodin, but, uh, you know, you can find out maybe what became of those characters, plus new stories, new chapters to the, to the Collins legend. So I think it would be interesting to see a next generation take. What do you guys think? Uh, yes. Wallace, why, what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I, I think one of the problems with the Dark Shadows movie is, People forget that Dracula, for example, mm. was a contemporary novel when it came out. Yeah. And it eventually turned into costume drama. And it's always this thing that's set in Victorian England or some someplace else during that during that period. Something that lets them put on the, you know, the blouses and the, the capes. Mm. And they they kind of did that with Dark Shadows with this film, which is by kind of enshrining it in the moment of the 60s. And so they were, they were so obsessed with the kitsch factor mm. of the costuming. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dark Shadows was a contemporary show when it was on the air, and that's what people liked about it. And I, I, I feel like continuing that is, is important. I don't know whether or not I want to see it continued as a sequel, but uh, Patrick definitely has ideals on what they should do with it. I, I feel like that's I'm, not some... sure, I'm not sure where I would start it. I might actually start it in 1795. Yeah. Well, just, or, just what Patrick wanted to do with the day yeah. book. <laughs> or is the answer to not do it at all? Like, you know, there there's also uh, a sort of argument to be made for why remake it at all or why why not just continue to celebrate the uh, what exists? Um, I, I think that's that's a really important question, because mm -hmm. is is there something so substantive that you have to add to the you know the 450 hours of that show that demands it be done you know uh laura parker really got away with some wonderful stuff because it was a book and because she could pick up after the series and in our minds the characters you know largely look the same and and um and with this i'm i'm not I'm not entirely certain. I, of course, want it to be to be good. So, so on one hand, I think, gosh, 
is this show really a triumph of style as much as anything else? And does it live in the sets and in the costumes and in the color palette and so on? Yes, I think there is a lot of that. But at the same time, having spent so much time with these characters, is there also potentially something greater, something larger, something maybe that the original writers were just sort of scratching at uh, because they kind of absorbed it from the zeitgeist but never entirely captured. Is that possible? And and I'd like to think that there is. I want this franchise to have the acid test of really good writers sitting down and saying, you know, knowing everything that we know about this, which the original writers did not have that because they were like, what what can we do with this? What what can this say for us now and of course it's incumbent on you if you're going to do that to figure out what the hell it's saying in the first place and that's a big job dark shadows is an incredibly greasy fair to wrestle because, <laughs> because it's there, there is so much of it and it can take so long to watch that it was only watching it all in 45 days that I was able to sort of feel like an astronaut on the moon looking at earth and seeing the whole thing at once where I could remember the details of the beginning when I was at the end and, and be able to see it all. And, um, and there is, I think some very powerful substance there that, uh, that I, that I felt like I was taking while I was watching it, but, but <laughs> aside, uh, there, there is tremendous substance. And the person I go to as the model for this is Nicholas Meyer, who, when he sat down to write Star Trek II, uh, as someone who was not a fan of the franchise, thus could be objective about it, was able to extract truths and voices and sounds that always existed by implication, but never were really brought out clearly. And he did it. And Dark Shadows deserves its Nicholas Meyer. Yes, well said. Um, let's get back a little bit here to the, the Daybook and other projects that you guys did. Dark Shadows Daybook is not the first book you have both produced together. So talk a little bit about the monster serial series, because I certainly think that's uh, something that would appeal to uh, my listeners in terms of what that's about. So talk a little bit about that. Well, that, feels like, that feels like a million years ago. It's <laughs> at least a, a decade in pandemic years. <laughs> <laughs> are those available? Or is the monster serial, are the monster serial books currently still available? Yeah, they're still on Amazon. I mean, they'll okay. be there until I, I physically take them down and I've, I don't really have a motivation to do that. I've mm-hmm. got no idea how they're selling if anybody's even even knows they're out there. I, I'm, I'm sure that every time I mention it, somebody goes looking. Well, well what are they? Talk, talk about them. Uh, where they're, they're a collection of essays from lots of different writers about, about horror movies. And they're, they're, it's designed to be just, you know, explain why they love these films. And a lot of them are off the beaten path. path. Some of them are a bit mainstream. Some of them are despised. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah, Patrick, yes, Patrick I, came to the defense of Rob Zombie's Halloween, for example. Interesting. Wow. That's <laughs> even Rob Zombie. Yeah, Rob Zombie read it and, and complimented uh, the review on his, his Facebook page. No kidding. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's wow. Wonderful. So do you guys um, come from a background of enjoying all of of the genre, the horror genre, the oh, yeah. gothic genre, perhaps, or any any cult genre? Absolutely. Absolutely. My uh, my roots are in that sort of thing. And I 
was lucky to grow up down the street from the uh, a repertory movie theater back when they had those uh, that had calendar and showed old movies and you could see six weeks at a time mm-hmm. all of the films that uh, that they would that they would bring back and in fact in 1982 when dark shadows was on wave in louisville they showed house of dark shadows and so my first viewing of house of dark shadows was in a, a deco modern theater 940 seats giant screen it was a heck of a way to see it fantastic that movie um, plays so much differently with an audience too i didn't get to see it with an audience until patrick and i were doing a convention with uh, uh-huh. Catherine and Laura, uh-huh. and we we did a screening of that, followed by Q and A, and I'd never seen it with you know a room full of people before, but it, it played with so much more impact than I'd, I've ever experienced with that movie before. It was very, it was a very intense, jarring film. Oh yeah, I I would love to see it with an audience. I I have never had that experience myself, and it's it's definitely a different vibe. I remember going to see the Universal films. It was a you know a theater in Boston. The Brattle was around Halloween. They were they were playing you know the the big the big three: Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman. And I I went to watch that with some friends in a theater packed with people close to Halloween, and it was it was awesome. It was just such an ex- a great experience because the audience is interacting with the film that energy that inter- interplay of energy with with what's transpiring on screen is definitely a, a cool thing to experience so i'd love to to experience that with house of dark shadows what do you guys think of a night of dark shadows i love it. i really yeah. do you call it an art film as i recall yeah yeah <laughs> and it, it definitely is uh it's you know i mean like the ragnarok sequence it's uh it's a it's a potent drink. It's, it's, it takes a lot to kind of get it down. Uh, and it, I think, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the things that makes horror horror is the idea of ignorance is the idea that pattern has been broken and we don't know where it's going to hit us next. I, I like horror movies that often don't explain themselves completely because that would remove, you know, then it becomes Scooby-Doo and, so uh, the the fact that it was so savagely cut in some ways may help it because you're you're now very much seeing it kind of from from Tracy's point of view. And no, at a certain point, these things don't add up. You just know that you have to get the hell out of the house. And um, I think it's moody. I think that the cast is terrific. It's incredibly tiny nature you know house of dark shadows has lots of cops running in and and it definitely takes place in the context of a larger world and with the exception of a few references to the outside world and and the the news scroll that happens at the end it is this insular place that truly is taking place in the apocalyptic wasteland left over after house of dark shadows mm-hmm. and um it's a it's a moody cold yeah. uh, late autumnal perfect yeah uh, uh movie yeah it's it really that's when i like to watch it on a rainy day in like november you know it's just the perfect perfect time to to watch that film um i'd love to see the full version though that uh, that darren gross has been trying to to get out there because i i would like to see the original vision that dan curtis had for the film and hopefully that will see the light of day at at some point you know uh it's my understanding that it's been completed Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, they were hold, the holdout was they were waiting until they had something firm in mind to 
find an actress, actress to redub Grayson Hall's lines, but uh, yeah. it's my understanding all of that's been taken care of. So Really? Oh, okay. It's just wow. a matter of finding a venue for it. Was the late, What's that? Vic Tabak to voice. Uh, Vic Tabak. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I love kind of flipping through, uh, the, the day book here. Some of your, some of the things you, you, you say here are just, I mean, I'm sure lovers of, of Gothic literature uh, as I am, but I, I appreciate comments like dark, uh, dark shadows has a rich history of improving the classics. Thank you very much. As they yeah. reinterpreted vel- venerable texts for the, for a postmodern era, the original authors, Shelley, Stoker, Wilde, James, Stevenson, etc., certainly had the edges and luxuries of poetic language and original and originality, but with the edge of original and originality also comes the myopia of having to do this now, 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 with no time to let decades and culture mull over the ideas and contexts. Essentially, those original authors were beta testing their ideas. The James Wales, Jimmy Sangsters, and Dan Curtis's Curti, question mark, were perfecting them for wide release to the public. This is just fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Really, really, it's such a such a fun way uh, to to look at this. Now, before we talk, I want to move on to talk about a few other things here. But where can can people get this book, and in what formats can they get this book? Well, Amazon certainly has it in print and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and has it in an ebook form. You can get it in an ebook form on uh, the Google Play Store. Great. Uh, and then on Wallace's Patreon, uh, Unlovely Frankenstein, yes. uh, you can get a, a lovely signed copy of it with some beautiful prints of the art that's within, I believe three prints mm-hmm. and a very special collector's card and um, and a great Leviathan um, uh, Leviathan poster that reveals part of the truth of what's really going on. And, uh, no and it's way. a <laughs> that's there's a Leviathan poster. Oh, I, that sounds incredible. Um, you mentioned something that I wanted to uh, discuss and that was good, great. So thank you for giving me such a great segue there, Patrick. Uh, unlovely Frankenstein. Talk about unlovely Frankenstein Wallace. It's it's a long story. <laughs> uh, what is unlovely Frankenstein? Tell tell us tell us what unlovely well, Frankenstein's all about. Well, the the Dark Shadows connection. Before I forget about it, is the mm-hmm. word, the word unlovely. I read a profile and interview with uh, with Jonathan Fred in a Canadian magazine back when Dark Shadows was still in the air. I mean, I've read this like within the last couple of years. I was not alive in 1969 and it referred to him as an uh, unlovely bachelor, oh. which was a, exceptionally rude. Yeah, but I that's thought that, awful. That just, the use of that that word unlovely just kind of stuck in my mind. And I needed something that was like catchy and distinctive and it was not already in a domain name somewhere in the Internet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unlovely Frankenstein was was my ode to Jonathan Fred and Boris Karloff. No. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's an outlet for my um, I hit a wall with writing especially critical writing a few years back. And part of it has to do with the website that the things that I was really good at doing, I was not, I realized I was not going to be able to do them anymore. There is a bit of vulgarity on the website, which I'm still fine with. It's just that that kind of attitude and that kind of tone with when dealing with people who now have my telephone number, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, by which I mean, the cast, some of the cast members at Art Shadows sure. was just not going to be able to happen anymore. And, you know, whether it's them or their friends or, or whatever. I mean, you, I could not say, um, 
Naughty words. Yeah, yeah naughty words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was about I was about to give you a list of them. Um, yeah, no. But yeah, <laughs> specifically about characters or actors or whatever. I mean, it was like it's fun when you can do that kind of stuff. But the the website eventually got so deep into the weeds of dark shadows that it kind of like merged with it at some point. Yeah. yeah. And so I what the stuff I was good at I, it didn't make me happy and it was just going to cause problems. Uh, so I sort of like segued into expressing myself via you know visually actually. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just kind of where I am right now. But I've had a rough couple of years. Also, yeah, yeah. It's a very very exciting couple of years. It's it's a bit like the um, side adventure. Yeah, <laughs> everything's kind of upside down and like fascinating, but at the same time, oh my god, we're all gonna die. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, geez, it's it. Yeah, it's been a rough rough year, and it's still continuing with this whole Delta variant and everything. Yeah. I'm I'm hopeful that you know we're all hopeful that things will improve, and hopefully people will start now that the Pfizer vaccine is approved. Hopefully. More more people will be doing that. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, but yeah, um, Unlovely Frankenstein kind of actually, you know, formally came about because I, I've been tinkering around with art and whatever just for fun for the Internet, just to, you know, make people laugh for the most part. And uh, Dana Gould uh, took notice of that and actually started to, you know, hire me to do concert posters for him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was also flattering and it was also validating. It's like, maybe, you know, maybe I can. I've been getting paid to do this nine to five for a while, but maybe I can actually do a bit more, more than Mm -hmm. what I've been doing. And yeah, it just kind of took off from there. It's sort of a a second business for me now. That's great. What what kind of products can people find on the Unlovely Frankenstein page? Uh, Primary 11 11 by 17 prints, some one sheet size, size images, occasionally Mm -hmm. trading cards, uh, whatever other oddball stuff I feel like, like putting out there. It, It kind of fluctuates. Yeah, I picked up uh, from my friend Erin. Uh, we're you know, we're both big Rocky Horror fans, and I got her the the Frankenfurter, the Tim Curry uh, sort of Warhol style uh, Tim oh. Curry. That is really cool. Yeah, and I grabbed a couple other things uh, for her from there. The, the Garfield was it the 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 the, the, the uh, pet cemetery with the, the Jim Davis, you know, with the Garfield. I was like, oh my goodness, this is great. Yeah, that was an early wake up call for me also because I saw that I did it and I just stuck it on the internet because I thought it was funny. Yeah, and somebody on Reddit posted a link to a T-shirt that somebody was selling with it on there. Oh no, kidding! Oh wow, maybe, uh, maybe I could be making money off of this if somebody else is going to do it. I mean, it might. So they took your image and they used it in, on their product. Is that what? Yeah, you're there there are bots oh. on on Twitter and on, on Tumblr who just scan for certain words and will take images and automatically upload them and sell them. T-shirts. Uh, I hate so. that. That sucks. Um, but awesome. And what what is the website for it? Um, unlovelyfrankenstein.com. Oh, I want to say that it's, it's technically an Etsy store, but I do have a .com account there. You can find them on either Etsy or do my .com address. Awesome. Now, you guys used to also do a, a podcast, and I, I had the pleasure of being on one of the episodes on the on the uh, later end of it. I did a, a little bit for you, which thank you for asking me to do. That it was really fun. Uh, but so is is the podcast over or is it just sort of uh, simmering on, on the back burner and plans to bring it back at some point or? I don't know. <laughs> I know that's, that's really wishy-washy, but yeah, just the, the anxiety of trying to, to crank that out because it was right there at the end it was the best it's ever been. And it was also the most pressure I've ever been under to make sure I get it right. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was hounding people to, hey, that work that you're going to do for me for free, I need to get that by this Friday. Right, right, right. I love <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was terrific. I thought the work you and everybody else who's pitching into it was was amazing. And it was all, all, you know, offered a lot of different perspectives on a TV show that deserves to be seen from something, a point of view different than the I ran home from school to watch Dark Shadows crowd. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah. It was, yeah, I, I loved, uh, yeah, you just, you had different sort of uh, styles of episodes that you would do. It was never like one sort of format. You had a lot of different things going on in it. And I, one of the things I loved was the, the, the interviews. I know Patrick, you interviewed a lot of the dark shadows stars. I very lucky. Humpert Alan Estrado, what a what a score that was. Though I think he's only ever done one appearance at a con years in the seventies or something. You know, that took a lot of work. Yeah, Did, was he reluctant to talk about uh, Dark Shadows, or was it just well, he was too it, busy? Or I assumed he was reluctant to talk about Dark Shadows, and so my sales pitch to him for the longest time had been, I know we can talk about Eclis, we can talk about all these other things, we don't have to talk about Dark Shadows. And his response was, well, you know, okay. And Wallace, you know, giving me toughness lessons, you know, behind the scenes, you got to ask him about Dark Shadows. So I waited until towards the end and it was like, gee, uh, um, Mr. Estrado, uh, sir, um, may I please ask you a question about Dark Shadows? He's like, yeah, sure, why not? Which, I had I known he was going to be that agreeable, you know, we would have had long conversations about Michael Stroka's hair. But, uh, <laughs> you could but, do a whole podcast series devoted to that. Sure, it's, it's my yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, uh, and he was he was fine with chatting about that, but he mm-hmm. was he was kind of a, a, as exactly as scary as you would think, because <laughs> I remember. You know, speaking to him in director ease and and actor ease and and dramaturg ease uh, leading up to this, uh, you know, trying to prove I was you know worthy of his time or something, and so we get we get rolling with the podcast, and I say you know and and you're so good with language, and he says what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> so good with language? What do you mean by that? <laughs> And I wasn't expecting that to kick off an interview. <laughs> so after 45 minutes of stammering, I was able to cogently communicate what I meant. And I, I don't know if it was hazing or what. Uh, you know, I think his last years were not super happy. Um, and, you know, he, he was not at the conventions. And so it, it took a lot to gain his trust. And I remember even after it was over, um, I sent him a Kindle book that he wanted. It was on his Kindle list. It was a book about Dickens or something. And he called me up very concerned. What is this? What is this about? And I I said, it's a, it's a gift. How did you know about it? I said, because your wish list is public, Humbert. Oh, it, it is? I said, yes. Well, what does this mean? I said, it doesn't mean anything. It, it means you read the book and enjoy it. You said you like reading. And I said, and that's it. And there's no catch. And not, you know, Annie Wilkes. And and huh. you're safe. Yeah. He said, oh, okay. And that was it. Yeah. I wonder if he had some bad experience with with, sure. with fans, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, there is a degree of craziness in any fandom. Yes, yes. Dark Shadows, uh, when the crazy wants to get crazy, it gets crazy. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and I think it's because there is so much of the show, and it does take such a dedication, and it is about an alternative family, and and that that will have an appeal to a very wide audience. It's unfortunate, however, because it could potentially scare somebody off who might enjoy 
you know, participating and getting to, you know, it's been so many years now. And well, here's this, a good, this, I will the, the crazy anecdotally, mm-hmm. uh, all the conventions I've been to and, and everything else, everybody's been swell. Yeah. Everyone's been great. So if there are such things, I certainly don't want that to scare anybody off. Uh, it's a it's a very, very, very lovely group of people, real family atmosphere. Yeah, I've only been twice mm-hmm. to the festivals when when those were going on. And I, I had a, a blast. I had a great time. It was very everybody was very friendly. And uh, I did was one little experience I had where somebody like was acting really aggressively unhappy about something. Then I was in their way. But, <laughs> but they maybe they were having a bad day, but that was just like, whoa, what's going on here? But other other than that, it was a very pleasant experience. And certainly I would love to to go back if they do that again. Um, when Since we were talking about Humbert Allen Estrato in recent episodes of the podcast, this is uh, this has been coming up. It's, it's something that I've seen in the fandom over the years. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of it, even though I don't think there's a, a definitive answer. Nicholas Blair, warlock or demon? Sure. Uh, <laughs> both. <laughs> both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That, both. I think when rewatching, I re- rewatched that storyline recently, and I get the sense that the writers initially were planned for him to be a demon and then decided to make him a warlock instead. That was that's the sense I get from watching it because of the phrasing he uses early on about the pact with Cassandra and all this. And then later on, Vicky throws out the word warlock and he sort of gets very coy about it. And and or he's he says, does that make me a warlock? And she says, yes. And he kind of he is a bit playful about it. And I, I wonder if there was sort of a decision at some point to to change what he was in terms of what supernatural creature he was. I, I have a thought on that, and it's that I assume he was a warlock who died and became demonic. And oh, interesting. To Earth on missions, uh, he is, you know, recorporated into his human Estrato-esque uh, form and um, and and yeah, he is a little bit of a warlock there also, you know, uh, you know, once a Navy man, always a Navy man kind of thing. And I and I think that's uh, that's that's, you know, once a warlock, always a warlock. And, and I think that's how they play it that way. I think really the writers, you know, we think in terms of, of computers and always having access to these. Oh, files. they didn't know. Yeah. They had no interest in the occult or, what. you know, they, they had none of that. Yeah. And even even in terms of access to their own writing. Sure. Yeah. Find which episode they made this reference in and go through hundreds of pages of scripts and and so on and so forth. So I also think they kind of played it a little fast and loose just because mm-hmm. it was to remember. Wallace, any any thoughts on that? Well, I feel like uh, Blair's infatuation with Maggie really only makes sense if he's not human. OK, because, wow. you know, if, if he's a guy who's had a human life and I, I don't know why he would care. Mm-hmm. about this you know, like 20 year old 20 year old woman who, so you don't think has, he was you don't think he was ever human then uh i no i, I guess i don't okay interesting <laughs> interesting okay so you both both have kind of a different different perspective on it uh i i don't i, I feel like they wanted to rein in some of the satanism during that storyline i think that it was starting to cause them problems with oh the yeah viewers. the black so mass like, <laughs> yeah, yeah diabolos shows up one time and is never mentioned again i feel like yeah. he, they walked him back pretty quickly i actually i think i read that at some point that there was some backlash actually about that about 
those episodes in in particular. Um, I, I always figured, you know, Nicholas wants to corrupt Matt, like he is infatuated her, with her, but I don't know if it's it's not I don't know if it's true. He's not truly in love with her. He wants to corrupt her and so like corrupt her innocence. He's drawn to her innocence, I think, is 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 a big part of it as well. You know, uh, what, I don't know. I just mm. my, my take. I think he's in love with her. You think you know, so? Yeah. Why not? Why maybe? Not? Well, they all the monsters fall in love on Dark Shadows. So maybe. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, that's really an important theme that it, mm-hmm. it is. It is always when they when they attain the height of this human experience of this pure human experience, it it undoes them. But maybe it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And and I think Nicholas Blair is is emblematic of that. He also was a key holder at the Playboy clubs. And I think <laughs> had Maggie is a waitress there. In New- <laughs> and, who knew uh, who knew the cross that crossover into real life would. <laughs> Sure, sure. Yeah, Claire, Michelle Silverstein, uh, you know, uh, uh, Leroy Neiman, they're all hanging out together in the grotto. <laughs> um, as we near kind of the end here, I want to talk about a little bit about your favorite characters and storylines. So I don't know. Let's start with let's start with Wallace. Wallace, favorite characters and favorite storylines in the show. Uh, it's always going to be Barnabas and probably uh, Victoria after that. But if I was going to pick, you know, one of the offbeat ones, it would probably be Jeb who I, I think is as an unsung monster for, for Dark Shadows. He's oh, a character yeah. I like I like quite a bit. And I think the, the Leviathan story arc is is much, much better than people give it credit for. I agree 100%. My favorite is going to be 1795, though. Or 1796. Okay. Which year is it? <laughs> <laughs> I get that. The, the years on that and the, the 91 um, revival are different. It always confuses me. Yeah, it goes 17, and it goes from 1795 to 1796. But then when by the time they get to the 1840 storyline, they're referring to it as 1797. So they're kind of <laughs> like time is fluid in Collins for it, clearly, you know, with all yeah, the, t- the, the Barnabas <laughs> origin storyline is my favorite. I feel like it's yeah. it's complicated in all the right ways. It mm-hmm. never quite goes off the rails like a lot of the other later storylines do. It's mm-hmm. very operatic. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. I love that you called out uh, Jeb, too, because you don't hear people pick him very often as one of their favorites. But he's I mean, he was great. And Chris Pennock gave such a great, crazy performance in, in that role. All of his characters were just like the, the late, great Chris Pennock. You know, they were just these larger than life characters and uh, wild, like just. <laughs> It's really wild characters. I love uh, uh, Cyrus and and Jaeger too. The Jekyll and Hyde characters that he did, you could tell he was just having a complete blast playing those characters. And he never lost his edge either. I mean, even on no. the Big Finish audios, I mean, he was it was he was giving it all his all. He was actually a, even a better actor now than he was, you know, yeah. in his I guess physical prime. Yeah. But you know, yeah. his, his performances on the on the big finish audios are probably my favorites. Oh yeah, he's great in those. He's fantastic in those. How how did you get by the way, just side side note, that was really cool. How did it feel becoming a part of like Dark Shadows like as a character? Oh well they they knew me fairly well because I'd been hosting their podcast for them and they had a mm-hmm. A spot that came open, they, they had to get it filled pretty quickly. And they asked mm-hmm. me if I just wanted to read. They knew uh, that my background was in newspapers and it was a news mm-hmm. guy for the radio. They asked me if I wanted to do these two or three lines. <laughs> and originally they were just going to name the character after me. But uh-huh. my my kid had been born and I was already stymied by um, 
everybody, uh, nobody, nobody was supporting my idea of naming the kid Barnabas. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn. So did you, I, I, did I, you try Quentin next? <laughs> I did. I almost got that through. And then the, my wife's medication wore off and she changed her mind while she was still in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. oh. You just go down the list. You're like, how about no. Aristide? You know? In my defense, my, I was not going to name the kid Barnabas McBride. It was going to be first name, middle name, Barnabas is a, as a second middle name, but then his last okay. name. Okay. It was a name he'd, he'd never used, but I, my, my idea was that, you know, every 10, 15 years, he'd have to get his passport renewed and, and he'd have to put Barnabas on there and remember that his dad was a bit of a weirdo and loved him. That's, that's my, <laughs> my, that was my entire end game. Oh, that's awesome. But since I, I couldn't make that happen, I named, I, I asked him to name this, this character after my son, whose name is Edgar. Oh, that's so cool. That's so sweet. I love that. But Ed, so Ed, Edgar McBride is is the character and that's, that's in right. bl- Bloodlines, right? Uh, yeah, I've actually done, I think, three, uh, three okay. episodes for them. So, OK, awesome. Um, you know, it's funny. I had a I once had a student in one of my English classes and her name was Angelique. And one day I just I said, did your parents name you after the, the witch on dark shadows. And she said, yeah, how did you know that? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. They, they just like, Oh yeah. They, they love that show. So they, they, yeah, they named her after, after Angelique. Uh, they have a good taste. Indeed. Uh, Patrick, how about you? Favorite characters and favorite storylines? I have to say this and mm-hmm. I don't it necessarily happily because sometimes humor is, is, just symbolic of itself. It's not genuine. Um, and it's a matter of ritual. Harry Johnson, it's on everyone's lips. <laughs> but, uh, but having said that, and I doubt that I did, I would say Count Potofi. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Involving Thayer David is, uh, is, is, is worth watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Stokes. Yes. And, uh, and, and Count Potofi. Uh, the, the 1897 storyline for me always stands out because it's Dark Shadow's own reboot. It, it, it does almost everything worthwhile that they did before, but it, it does it arguably better and more confidently. And even though it lasts for something like nine months, it, uh, it's more, um, I don't know. It it feels more economical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, eighteen ninety seven without a doubt. But good choice. Um, I often when new fan friends of mine who want to check out the show, I I often will suggest eighteen ninety seven diving into eighteen ninety seven because there's so much going on and it's you know they're just, it's colorful and it's it's a lot of fun to watch i think I, so I we'll start with episode 701 mm-hmm. it'll do all of i mean heck you've got someone who you've got an aristocrat he marries someone he has an affair mm-hmm. uh it's fair with someone from another culture that uh that there is a shooting that there is um then a curse that's put on both of them in the same spot in the old house. They, it's it's the same bloody story. Yeah. It just takes a different, uh, slightly different direction. Yeah. Uh, with with a lot, I think, with a lot more clearly articulated remorse by David Selby, just because the scripts allowed him to. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Harry Johnson because he. Uh, I think he gets a bum rap. Harry gets a bum rap because he they he, they he, they bring him in and it looks like he's going to be this like troublemaker character who's and then then he just becomes like everybody's kind of tool really. It's like 
do you do this for me? <laughs> you know, and there's, there's something to be said for Harry. I, I don't think Harry's all, you know, everybody picks he's on for like the um, he's like the 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 stand in for Willie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Willie, story again, Harry Johnson. My uh, my friend, Eric, who drew the I don't know if you guys saw that he did a, what would dark shadows look like as a, as a Hanna-Barbera cartoon oh, in the yeah. 70s yeah oh yeah he's, he's amazing and he drew he drew Mrs. Mrs. Johnson I was like oh you gotta add Mrs. Johnson and he drew Harry too and I was like wow Craig Slocum really lends himself well to a cartoon interpretation like he I was like that looks dead on like Craig Slocum's Harry Johnson as a cartoon character perfect um Awesome guys. Well, uh, where uh, so we have the Dark Shadows Day book, which is out now. Folks can get it on Amazon. Uh, you're gonna love it if you don't have it. Uh, definitely check it out. Anything on the horizon, guys? Coming coming up. We're talking about volume two right now. Yeah, well, volume it's, two. Yeah, it's it's compiled. It needs it needs some polishing and it needs a little bit of organizing, but it's 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 on its way. Oh my God! Volume two, folks. This is amazing. This is this is you heard it here first. Volume two is coming. So, and it's similar setup as the first one. So far, yeah. Uh, not all of the storylines are as evenly represented, mm-hmm. but uh, but the quality I think is is very much there. Fantastic. And uh, you have a projected release date, or is it still sort of off in the in the distance? Or ask, ask the man. I am loopy to his well, desert. Well, I don't want I don't want to pin you down here, Wallace. In case it's in case you announce something and then it doesn't come out by then, I don't want. But if if you have any any thoughts on that, that would be great. Yeah, um, sooner than people probably think. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Very cool. So keep your eye on that. And they can find out about it, of course, at the Collinsport Historical Society. And there's also a Collinsport Historical Society Facebook page uh, as well. Uh, and uh, a discussion forum that you have on there too, the CHS Drawing Room, which is a pretty active uh, Facebook group for Dark Shadows from what I've seen there. So um Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you. Oh, gosh, it's been a a pleasure talking with you. I'm glad we finally got to Wallace and I have corresponded for for a little while now, but it's great to finally get to talk to both of you in person or on Zoom anyway uh, for this podcast episode. I really appreciate it. Folks, be sure to check out the Dark Shadows Daybook. Grab it on Amazon. You don't want to miss out on this one. And remember, Dark Shadows is a Dan Curtis production. Cute there, man. Yeah. (laughs) And for as long as they lived, the Dark Shadows never truly faded. For there will always be terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.